Good morning, everyone. Hello, hello. It's good to see you. It's lucky to be back in the book of James. Wasn't it incredible last week having Andrew with us as well? What a great gift hey? he is to us. And um, oh, that was just, I think we left here at quarter to two last week, just praying for people. It was extraordinary. And seeing God do amazing things in, our, in, in people's lives. I am... Um, yeah, if you, if you haven't got one of these, please take a second, if you like, quickly bolt to the front there and grab one of these, um, and uh, it's helpful for taking notes, and you can bring them along to life group when, when it comes to our life group discussions. Um, and uh, as I said, we're back in the book of James, it was a great sexuality series, been a lot of great feedback there as well, and God's been speaking to us through that. But uh, James closes out with five more messages. We've had four mini-series through the book of James, and this is the fourth of four mini-series, and this one's entitled An Enduring Faith, An Enduring Faith. You see, the thing is, James was writing to an audience who were really hard done by. They were really struggling. They were suffering, and there was no sign of relent to the difficulties that they were facing. And so this final chapter, in a sense, is like James saying, guys, I'm going to give you five keys to make it to the end. I'm going to give you five keys to finish strong. Life is hard, and it's probably going to get tougher, but here's five things to remember to, uh, to help you to finish well, that you'll make it to the end, and that you won't, you won't live with regret when you get there. And I think these five keys are equally relevant to our lives as well today. And the first one is probably one of the strangest texts in the book of James, and I'll explain to you uh, in a second why. But I want to let you know on the front end, James pulls no punches today. James is speaking uh, to the wealthy about their money, and he probably speaks, he, he, he takes the gloves off, so to speak, and he goes hard. And so what he's going to do is he's going to give us a sense of a vision of what to do with our wealth and our money. James is going to give us a vision of how not to live with our wealth. And, how, and what not to do with our money. And he, and, he, and he takes the gloves off. The background is, as I said, James is writing to Christ followers who've lost everything. A lot of commentators say, in all likelihood, these were believers of Jesus who, because of persecution, had to flee their lands and had to flee their home. Remember, your land was your, your livelihood. Your land was your business. It was where you worked from. And so, in a sense, they lost their businesses and they lost their homes because of their faith. And they fled and they found themselves in this community. Now, what they had to do then is uh, find new work. And they found work on the, on the lands of wealthy kind of land barons and wealthy landowners who had been, taken, had been taken advantage of their predicament. And so now you've got this group of poor Christians who have lost everything, who are now having to work in someone else's business, in someone else's land, and they're being taken advantage of by these wealthy, non-Christian landovers. So you've got Christian poor people who have lost everything, who are now working on the lands of wealthy, non-Christians. Does that make sense? And, and, and here's where it gets tricky. James is writing to these Christians who are suffering... But he's writing to these Christians what he would, in a sense, say to the wealthy non-Christians who are never going to hear this. Okay, so just try and get your head around this. I'm setting it up. It'll make more sense as we go. But, he, but he's writing to these, to these struggling poor Christians to remind them of eternity. You see, when we're under pressure and when life is difficult, it starts to feel like this is all there is. This is, is this what my life is going to be about? Is this all that there is in life? And James is trying to remind them that there's more to life than what they're going through. And he wants their actions and their hope uh, in their present circumstance of suffering to be reflective of the ultimate true reality of eternity. And so this is strange because James is writing to poor Christians about the wealthy non-Christians who are oppressing them. It's what he would say to them. So let's jump in and look here. Chapter 5 and verse 1 to verse 6 is where we're looking today. Look here. Okay, uh, look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. I told you, he pulls no punches. Your wealth is rotting away, and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you are counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you cheated of their pay. 
The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord uh, of heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to this text, we ask, Lord, that you would speak to our lives, Lord. We, we, we bring our lives under your truth, and we ask that you would form us and shape us, recognizing that money is such a big part of our, our, our lives and the world in which we live. And there's so many ideas on what it looks like and what we're supposed to do with it that get thrust upon our hearts and our lives. And we ask today, Lord, that you would speak to us. I ask that for, for many of us, you would spare us great hardship in the future because of the way in which we listen to your word right now in the present. And I ask that for those who are being oppressed and those that are suffering under someone else's selfish choices financially, that you would comfort them with the hope of eternity that awaits them as well, we pray. Amen. Now, I'm going to break some preaching rules today, okay? I'm going to share two big ideas instead of one big idea. I know we're bordering on blasphemy, um, but uh, I'm going to share two big ideas, and I'm going to share two big ideas with you. Um, I'm going to give a big idea to the wealthy and a big idea to the oppressed and the poor, um, and, and you're, it'll make sense as to why. To the wealthy, the big idea today is this. What you do with your money and your power determines your eternity. What you do with your money and your power determines your eternity. Now, the, the danger is that you start to think, you think of someone else who's wealthy and you think it must be about them. Probably 95% of people in this room today or watching today are in the wealthy category. The, the, the temptation in my life and in your life for all of us to do, we, we compare upwards. We always find the person that's just you know, a little bit above and we, that, that, they the wealth, you know what I mean? Don't fall into that trap. To the wealthy, what you do with your money and your power determines your eternity. In other words, steward your wealth as though you will give an account to God one day because you will. James writes this section for the benefit of poor believers in the church who were being exploited by wealthy non-Christians. These, um, these wealthy non-Christians would never hear these words. Uh, but... I'm mindful that our church's kind of wealth spectrum is far broader than James's church's wealth spectrum. Those in James's church were largely the poor who were being oppressed. I know in our community, we're, uh, uh, there's a far broader spectrum of wealth in our community with far more people on the spectrum of wealthy in our community. And so I have to pull, I'm pulling a big idea that's in this text that maybe James's audience would never have heard, but is certainly relevant for us today. Hence the need for two big ideas. I'm mindful that in our, in our church, there are landowners, there are business owners, there are employers of people. And so there are many today who would be in a similar financial position to the wealthy non-Christians that James was writing about. And so we have to preach that message to ourselves as well. This, the, the big idea there is what you do with your money and your power determines your eternity. The actual big idea of this text is to you who are poor, whose lives are suffering because others are exploiting you, trust God to bring vengeance to those who wrong you. To you who are poor, trust God to bring vengeance to those who wrong you. That's what James is actually writing to these poor Christians about. He's saying, I want you to know, well, it looks like they have the upper hand now. But I want you to know, actually, ultimately, in the great scheme of things, where the scales really matter, you have the upper hand. And these words were to inspire the poor, to inspire those who are being oppressed, to comfort them by saying, God hears your pain. God sees your suffering, and it matters to it matters to him. John Calvin, commenting on this passage, says, The oppressed, hearing of the miserable end of the rich, might not envy their fortune. And also knowing that God would be the avenger of the wrongs they suffered, they might be with a calm and resigned mind bear them. They go through their hardships mindful of the eternal reality. Make sense so far? 
Let's look at verse 1 where we see this big idea come through here. Look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Let's be clear. James is not addressing rich believers like most of us in this room would be believers. James is, is addressing the exploiters of the weak and the poor. And to be clear, they're not being condemned because of their wealth. They're not being condemned because they're wealthy. This is not a critique on capitalism. Rather, they're being critiqued because of the misuse of their money. It's not being rich that's a sin. It's what they were doing with their riches that was the sin. Does that make sense? It's very important we bank this here. The issue is what they are doing and what they are not doing with their wealth and with their power. And the condemnation is emphatic. It's even stronger in the Greek. In the Greek translation there, we've got here, we've got weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you in, in the translation there. In the Greek, it's burst into weeping. It's howling with grief. And the word miseries or anguish, you see the, the, the S on the end of miseries, it's plural. It's, it's saying a multiplied misery in the coming judgment. James is, James's point is clear. Disaster is coming. These wealthy people in all likelihood viewed their wealth as a means to avoid pain and suffering, to protect their lives of comfort and luxury. And James is pointing out the irony of their wealth. It's in fact bringing them the very opposite of the thing that they, that they thought it would. It's not earthly suffering that James is speaking about here. Rather, it's a severe punishment awaiting them when Jesus returns. Some, some tough words this morning, hey? James wants the poor to know, those who are being oppressed, those who are being taken advantage of, that he wants them to know the ultimate trajectory of their oppressors, which is why James never offers an opportunity to repent or to change, because James is not speaking to the wealthy non-Christian person. He's speaking to the poor believers who are being oppressed. I'd imagine if James was writing to the wealthy uh, non-Christian oppressors here, if he was addressing them personally, he'd be saying, he'd be pleading with them, repent, change, it's not too late, come to Christ, use your wealth to do good. It's not too late. Come and put your faith in Christ. That's what would be added to that, I'd imagine, if James was addressing those people. But in fact, he's addressing the poor believers. You're tracking with me? Does it make sense? Through the, We're never getting this tricky bit of this text yet. That said, I'm so aware that for most of us, we need to probably heed this warning as, warning as well. Because we live in a world that is so materialistic, that puts so much pressure on us with our wealth. We, we, we can so easily just get sucked along with the currents of our culture to be living for accumulating wealth and accumulating more money. Whether we do it because we have it or whether we even do it because we don't have it and we do it aspirationally. We are in a culture that where the great pursuit of life is about accumulating more things and more money and trying to protect and insulate ourselves to, 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 to create lives of comfort for ourselves. So we'd be foolish to, to not think that we, as people sitting here, as Christ followers even, have not been in some way infected with this way of thinking. And what James is saying is your wealth has the incredible potential of bringing you great blessing or also great destruction. Wealth can go both ways. Jesus teaches this. He speaks about money many times in the scriptures. And he warns against accumulating treasures on this side of heaven. And in fact calls us to accumulate treasures in heaven on the other side of eternity. The flip side is what James is saying though. Is that James points out the incredible potential that our wealth can have in condemning us in the future. If leveraged selfishly and exploitatively. And Jesus echoes the sentiment as well. Listen, Matthew 19. And then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh, we, we preachers come up with all sorts of ways of trying to like change what that means. Oh no, you see, it's actually this gate. And no, 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 no. But, but, but what Jesus is saying is it's very difficult. It's very hard for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Because more often than not, our wealth turns us not toward God, 
But our wealth turns us away from God. Our wealth often proves to be an obstacle in our, disciple, uh, in our discipleship. I wonder if James was echoing more of Jesus' words from Luke chapter 6, when Jesus says in verse 24, What sorrow awaits you who are rich? For you have your only happiness now. What sorrow awaits you who are fat and prosperous now? For a time of awful hunger awaits you. What sorrow awaits you who laugh now? For your laughing will soon, soon turn to mourning and sorrow. The big idea is what you do with your money and your power determines your eternity. And then what James does now is he double clicks on four misuses of money. Four misuses of money. We'll go through them now. Number one, first misuse of money is hoarding your abundance for yourself. Hoarding your abundance for yourself. Verse 2 and verse 3. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. For you have laid up treasure in the last days. In the last days is the period between the Pentecost, when the Spirit of God was poured out, and Christ's return. Remember, you've got creation. You've got the fall where sin entered the world. Creation, everything was perfect. Sin entered the world. The moment sin entered the world, God promised to send a redeemer, a redeemer someone in the line of Eve who would save humankind. And so, so the, into that world, Israel is born as a nation who would, cover the, who would carry the seed. Israel... God, 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 into that lineage is born Christ. Jesus comes. Jesus lives a sinless life, dies on a cross, and then uh, is resurrected to life. And because of the forgiveness that he brings, the Spirit of God is poured out into humankind at Pentecost. Ever since then, we've been living in what, what the Bible calls the last days until Jesus comes again. Everybody thought Jesus would come once and do it all in one go. But in fact, that's not what happened. Jesus came once in the first advent and will come again to restore all things in the second advent. And in between here is the last days. And James says, you're living in the last days and you've stored up for yourself these storehouses of wealth. The picture is of storehouses of wealth, of closets, cupboards with more clothes than what they can wear. So that moths are eating them away and they're busy rotting there because they've got more clothes than they can physically wear. Where they've accumulated more things than they're able to use, and because they're just standing there not being used, they're perishing. You know what one of the fastest growing industries in our country is at the moment? There's another one that's just gone up uh, at uh, Long Beach Mall, across the road from the other one that's just gone up at Long Beach Mall. Uh, that's just near the one on the way to Cormacie as well. It's storage facilities. Because we accumulate more things and we, we, we've got our big houses and we can't even, we can't keep all our things in, even in our big houses. So now we need to rent other places to put more things so we can have more stuff. Caesarius of Aries says this in the 6th century. Riches cannot harm a good person because he spends them kindly. Likewise, they cannot help an evil person as long as he keeps them uh, avariciously or wastes them in dissipation. Avariciously, greedily for himself, wastes them in dissipation, squanders them. Jesus' words should be ringing in our ears from Luke chapter 12. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven, and the purses of heaven never get old or never develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it, nor no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there uh, the desires of your heart will be also. I hadn't seen that until someone brought a prophetic word this morning uh, in our prayer meeting. And the, the word was, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Here we see uh, where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. These men and women had chosen hoarding, hoarding instead of helping. I better be clear on that one. These men and women had chosen hoarding instead of helping. And the result of their wealth, um, instead of incurring future reward, 
the same wealth that could have incurred future reward becomes a means for future curse. You think this is a scary text to preach. It's not. My bigger concern is that we don't heed this warning. My bigger concern for us is that we don't hear these words. It's so clear what James is saying. It's so clear what our culture is calling us to. We have to heed these words. The principle for us today is to truly trust God to be our ultimate protector and provider for our lives. And to to keep what you need to live. To enjoy God's blessings for your life. And then to to leverage the wealth that God has given you this side of heaven to do as much good for the kingdom as you possibly can. Keep what God has given you to keep, to live the life that he's called you to live. Enjoy the blessings he's given you and do as much as you can with your wealth to surge the kingdom of God forward before you run out of time. Number two, the second misuse of wealth is treating those in your employ unjustly. Treating those in your employ unjustly. Verse four, behold, to see if you can imagine the imagery as we read the scriptures here. The wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. What's going on here is the wealthy business owners have cheated the workers out of pay. And the visual imagery here is startling. Those wages which should have been paid out to workers never were. So they remain in the pockets of the wealthy. But now from the pocket of the wealthy, the wages themselves are crying out against the landowners for justice. It's as if the money in their bank accounts were shouting to God uh, against those who, who didn't pay fair wages. And the wages themselves stand as evidence harmonizing with the cries of the oppressed workers themselves. And they together reach the ears of James's name of God here, the Lord of hosts, which literally translates in the Bible as the God of the angel armies. God is given this title throughout the scriptures when he marches into war on behalf of his people. And James is saying, when you withheld, when you defrauded people of that money that you should have given them, it was fairly and rightfully theirs. It went into your pocket. And now from your pocket it is crying out against you to the Lord of hosts. The imagery serves to do two things. Number one, it levels a charge against the exploiters. Number two, It comforts the workers, affirming them that God knows their suffering and God sees their pain. Two applications to bring on this point. Number one, to those who are the victim of injustice, to those who have been wronged. James wants you to know that God hears your cry, that God sees your suffering, and that he is the true judge of the world and nothing goes unnoticed. Nothing goes unnoticed. They might think they are getting away with it. They are not getting away with it. No evil will go unpunished. Those deeds cry out against those who did those deeds. And and here's the thing. So you can trust God to bring justice. You don't have to pursue vengeance yourself. And the application to those with wealth, business owners, influencers, influencers in the marketplace, employers of people, whether it be in your homes or in your business, Christ followers should give serious thought to the way we apply God's principles of justice in the way that we structure our businesses, our pay structures, our employment conditions. It's not just a matter of, well, industry standard is this, or minimum wage is this, or everybody else does this. As Christ followers, we, we, we take the principle of justice, of love your neighbor as you love yourself, and we work that out through our wealth, through our power, through our place of influence in our businesses, in our family lives. This is what it means to be a Christian. We take God's word and God's truth of justice and love and we work it through our businesses and through our homes. Does it make sense? 
This passage should sober us in two ways. Clearly, the way in which we treat those in our employ matters immensely to God. And secondly, we should also hear the caution that the forces of evil in our world will tend to draw us toward looking out for number one and often will blind us to the hardships of those in the shade of our tree, of those who are in the influence of our care in our employ. And so we should, we should be sober in our assessment of what we're doing. I love that there's an air in the room of, wow, gravity and seriousness. I love to sometimes preach when it's light and it's fun and we're reveling in God's word and, and those beautiful things. But, but there's times when we, remember as a church, the reason we preach through James is we, we hold up the scriptures. We are those in our society who bring our lives under the scriptures to be formed by them. I, I'm trusting in my heart that every person of means is thinking justly, how, how, what am I doing with my money? Am I, am I curved in on myself or am I building God's kingdom? I'm trusting that if you're a business owner or you, you have influence in the marketplace, you're thinking, how do I work principles? principles of justice, given the influence and power that I have out through my business, because I, I don't want to be in the position of these guys. Number three, the third misuse of money is excessive self-indulgence. Verse five, you have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. It's a life curved in on itself. You've, you have fat, all that you were doing, is in a sense he's saying, is you were fattening yourself for the day of slaughter. It's a life of self-absorption. Living a life in pursuit of personal happiness, personal comfort, personal pleasure. And the progression we see in this text is this. Through your exploitation, you have created wealth. With your wealth now, in selfishness, you've stored it up, and now you're trying to create a personal kind of heaven on earth with your money. And James, in effect, says it's the closest to heaven that they're ever going to get. And this is very sad news for them. This is deeply sobering. Again, James is referring to a coming judgment that Christ will bring. Time after time, James says, what has been lost or what has been gained will come before the judgment of Christ. And Jesus is going to return. And when he does, he's going to, he's going to dish out according to what we've done or not done. Everything we've done will be brought before him and will face Christ's judgment. It's very sobering message, this one. Application to us, whether we are rich or whether we are poor, we should live with one eye on Christ's return. One eye on my life now, one eye on Jesus' return. Uh, when, you, when, you, when you meet as a couple or as an individual to, to put your budget together, when you, when you plan your growth goals for your company, when you look at your HR processes, spend your money, give your money, enjoy your money, but do it, do it with one eye on this life and one eye knowing that Jesus is going to return. Because you live in a world where, where we speak of the casino effect. The casino effect is so strong. The casino effect is there's two things you'll never see in a casino. Do you know what they are? Windows and clocks. Think of every casino you've ever been in. Windows and clocks. Why? Because, because they want to lock you into this little world and cause you to forget about time that's marching on outside there as if this is all that matters and blind you to reality as it marches on, to all the flashing lights and all the loud sounds and the sound of jackpot that plays. You, you forget about reality, ultimate reality, and, and you get sucked into this little world. And what James is doing is he's saying, no, no, I want you to, to, to look through the walls. I want you to, to, to let the light in. I want you to put the clocks on the wall. Jesus is coming back. And what you do now has a bearing on what happens when he returns in your life. And so blow the windows open and start to live Christ's follower, mindful of Christ's return. Do business today. Do budget today in light of Jesus' return. Make sense? Last one. Four misuses of money. Valuing your own life above the poor. Valuing your own life above the poor. Verse 6. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. 
because the workers didn't receive their wages, they were so poor, they were so destitute that you'd imagine that the sickest, the weakest, perhaps the youngest, would be the first to starve. And they literally would have died. You, you can't see in the English just the force of how strong James is being in the Greek. But what James does is he removes all the conjunctions from the sentence. We'll just let that speed merchant go by there. James removes all the conjunctions to almost loudly, emphatically declare, these victims are innocent. And because of your withholding, because of your fraud, you have, you have taken their lives through the way that you've hoarded your wealth, the way you've taken advantage of, of, of these people. You've literally, you've cost them their lives. You've taken God's place by judging that your own life is worth more than those whom you're oppressing. Their power has gone to their heads and it's caused them to believe that their lives are worth more than their workers and their workers don't matter. And it's a scary thought because we live in a world where we can very easily get sucked into the trap of valuing lives based on wealth and based on power and that those who live in poverty seem to somehow matter less. When a crime gets committed against a person of means, it's more serious than when a crime is committed against a person without. And James is saying, do not allow wealth to blind you to the worth of people. Four misuses of wealth. Number one, hoarding your abundance for yourself. We don't often do... You know, when we preach through God's word, you don't choose what comes up next. You know, it's the great gift of just doing that. This is, if you're a visitor and you're joining our church today for the first time, this is more, this is more sober than next week probably will be, and most weeks before that. But this is important, and we need to feel the weight of this. Holding your abundance for yourself. Does, like, has God got your number on this one? Number, number two, treating those in your employ unjustly. Maybe conducting business deals in such a way whereby you mitigate yourself of risk and you make others bear the risk. And then you can defraud people and walk away. Maybe, maybe the third one, ex excessive self-indulgence. There's God's provision. There's God's blessing for enjoyment as well. That's real and, and it's good and it's beautiful. But have we strayed, perhaps have you strayed into a kind of self-indulgence that's too far? And, and you've lost sight of eternity. And, and number four, do we value people and their worth differently based on their income? Can we go even tougher? It's, it's hard as a preacher. And it's, remember, I, I, I sit under this word for myself first. It's Heritage Day, the yesterday. It's Heritage Weekend for us as South Africans. And I found it impossible to read this text and not think of our South African apartheid past. I couldn't help but reflect on how the reality of the South African story, James is writing to an unequal society where wealth was tied up in land and land was seized and taken and owned by a few who then exploited many. Our history is the story of lands who were seized and then held and then in positions of power, people were exploited so that more wealth could be made and multiplied for the few who held those things. The extreme examples of mine workers who were forced to live away from their family, who were exploited, who were paid shamefully low wages, who, who, who literally were used up like things in order to maximize profits. I, I, I struggle to not see an echo of this in that. And I can't help but hear James's words of comfort to the oppressed, that not a single life lost was missed by God. That, not a, that, that every shortened life expectancy, that all the potential was squandered, that was squandered, was not missed by God. That somehow in God's goodness and His providence, that will be made up for. I don't fully understand it, but you can trust God to put those things to right. Because we, 
we look at this and we don't know how to fix it. We don't know how to put it to right. But God does know and somehow Christ will. And then I also can't help but wonder, what does it look like to at least endeavor as Christ followers to try and put this complex situation to rights? I know God will. That's clear in this text. And only God can. Absolutely, we can't. But while it's ours to do, whatever side of injustice you were born into in this country, let's be those as a church who endeavor as best as we can by stewarding that which God has given us in our salaries, in our businesses, in our power, and in our influence to as best we can break as many free as possible from the clutches of this terrible exploitative past. I know it's difficult to talk about these things, but God's word calls us to think about these things and to to bring ourselves and our lives under them and to ask, God, what can I do with what you've given me to try and set this thing to right, knowing that only you can, and it is way too complex, and, and I can't solve it all, but, but God, will you lead me? God, will you, I'm trusting you to work through me as to do what I can to put this to right. Big idea today to the wealthy, what you do with your money and your power determines your eternity. To the poor who are with us, whose lives are suffering because of those with means exploiting you, or maybe you've been the victim of injustice. Trust God to bring vengeance to those who wrong you. In closing, I must say this, that we worship a Savior who was truly innocent and yet who was condemned to death, just like James said. That when we look at Christ, our hearts should melt with compassion, especially the victims of oppression. Because Christ was incredibly wealthy, who had the riches of heaven, and yet he gave it all up to serve and to love those of us who were spiritually impoverished. And to be a Christ follower means that we live lives with our wealth that are in the same shape and pattern of Christ. If it means at times sacrificially giving up in order to, to bring God's kingdom. That's who we are. We were those who were oppressed by sin. We were those who were powerless to break free from its clutches. Yet Christ gave up his wealth and died on our behalf so as to free us and now entrusts us with means and with wealth in this moment in history in order that we would live lives in the same shape as Him. How do you do it in a world that says, no, 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 look after yourself. In a world that says, if you give this away, you, you don't know what's going to happen. You, you, it's scary. How do, you, how do you do it? You look to Jesus knowing that ultimately you can trust Him with your life. And you look to Jesus and you allow that to soften your heart to see a wealth and a worth in others. The same way Christ gave up for you, 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 see, you your heart is softened, your heart is melted. As, we, as Jade led us so well through those songs of the gospel, our hearts are melted and our hearts grow towards those in our society who are weak and powerless as well. So let's rethink what we spend our money on in light of the shape of the gospel. To the victims, to, uh, it, it looks different. If you've been wronged, I've I, I got a sense, you know when you've been wronged, you know this, you, sometimes you feel like if I don't let go, if, if, I, if I don't hold this thing, if I don't keep this score, they're they going to get away with it. If I, if I don't hold on to this thing, who, who else is? And so, so you carry this thing, you carry, you carry it, you, you can't let them off the hook because, because if I don't, then, then it's just like, it doesn't matter, it's like they get away with it. This text says to you, you don't have to carry that thing because Christ does carry it and ultimately nothing goes, no, nothing is not seen by him and you can let go and be freed from holding that awful thing because you know that he's got it. And I wonder if for some of us, 
We've got to hear that. One last thought. Then, then I can invite the band to come and lead us, and we can actually do some serious prayer with Jesus. Okay, no band. Oh, sorry, sorry, I'm, I'm autopiloting, and then I can invite Robin and James up here. Thank you, Lauren. I haven't got to that part of my notes yet. If you're here and you're listening to this message or you're watching this message and you feel a sense of guilt and perhaps you're not a Christ follower, perhaps you've taken advantage of others. We sometimes think that being caught out in our sin is a bad thing. It's not. The saddest, most dangerous thing is that you get away with it and you keep getting away with it because there will come a time, James says, where you will not get away with it and it will be too late to do anything about it. This is not that time. This is God's timeliest grace to you to say, come, rethink your life in light of Christ. Come to Him and trust Him. Perhaps you've defrauded people. Maybe you've held back money that you should have paid to people. This is an opportunity to put that to right, to trust God to help you to live in His ways, to act justly before our fellow human beings. And today is an opportunity to come to Christ and to ask Him to soften your heart and to set you free to live justly in this world. So can I pray for us? And I'm going to invite James and Robin up. Such tough words, Lord, but so needed. Thank you so much for your kindness that speaks so severely to sin so that you could spare us I thank you for the gospel that says, that says, yes, I am broken as a sinner, and yes, I have made mistakes, and I have made choices that are unlike you, and yes, I am guilty as a sinner, but you have not turned your back on me. You have moved towards me in my sin in order that you can free me and forgive me and commission me to live differently. I pray against condemnation this morning that says in my sin, you've turned your back and moved away from me. This is not the case. In my sin, you have come towards me to bring me freedom, to transform my heart so that I can live differently. Perhaps that's you and you actually need to do business with Jesus. You know who you are. You know, you know how you're living. Maybe it's, the, maybe it's that you've in your business or in your personal dealings, you've withheld money that you should have paid over. And this morning, we want to repent of that. Maybe, maybe you've done business not in the way of justice, but in the way of, well, everybody else does it like this. That's how we do things in Cape Town. That's just how it is. That's the industry standard. And, and, and in a sense, you've heard today that God calls you to much more than the industry standard, that God calls you to justice in His ways and in His wisdom. And to work out what that looks like. And you want to sign up for that and say, God, I want to do things in a new way. Would you help me, Lord? I'm so sorry for where I've got it wrong. Would you forgive me? And would you help, <coughs> help me to live differently, Christ? It's this gospel. The gospel is, is we're not perfect people. We're not the moral elite of the world. We're those who are... We're broken and we make mistakes and we're learning to live in Jesus' ways. We embrace that this morning. Perhaps you've heard it, it's been self-indulgent. It's been storing up for yourself. You realize your life has been so curved in on yourself and you've heard this as a warning to say, no, I don't want to live like that. I want to send it. I want to, I want to accumulate treasures in heaven. I want to bring God's kingdom on earth. God, I'm so sorry. Greed got its clutches into my heart. My treasure got misaligned. Jesus, come and help me again. Help us as a couple. Help us as a family. Help me as a Christ follower individual to, to spend my money with one eye on eternity. And I pray that you would guard anyone here who might stray into that kind of guilty, kill joy where we, we can't understand that you bless us as well. Jesus, don't allow... Don't, hear what, don't allow people to hear what's not being said. Pray you'd guard against hearts that might take this too far. Help us to enjoy your blessings. But also, Lord, give us wisdom with how to live truly for your kingdom, to seek first the kingdom of God in our lives. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.
Well done. Bet you didn't expect that this morning when you came to church, eh? But such a beautiful and helpful provoke to us. To Robin and James, can I invite you up to come and direct us? This is a very special Sunday. We're taking a second to look at justice in and through our community. And so Robin and James are going to speak to us on there today. Morning, everyone. Um, yeah, just thank you, Luke, for an amazing sermon. I think really also just to prepare our hearts for this. And it's fallen today on a day that we're calling our Social Justice Sunday at the church. And it's our opportunity as a church to respond to this message and to share some of that with all of you. So really just to say today, um, as a social justice team, we've been journeying to see what social justice ministry could look like in our church. And a couple of months ago, we invited anyone in the, in the church community who was doing work in our broader valley community and even beyond to come and share that with us so that we could we could start to get a sense of what's happening. And it was just the most amazing evening to see so many people who have their hearts on Jesus and, and, and compassion in their hearts to really be serving in our communities. And we thought it would just be a great opportunity today to also allow you to interact and connect with some of those people in some of those organizations and programs and ministries so that we can celebrate together as a church what God is doing in and through our community, in our valley. And as a justice team, we're also looking to invite people to come on board and be part of that team with us as we explore ways that we can find our expression of social justice in this valley. And so if anyone is interested, James is going to have a clipboard. And after this service, we're also just inviting everyone to come. There's some tables set up where all of those people and our representing those organizations are going to be. You can chat, you can find out what they're doing. There's even ways you might be able to get involved. So we're just encouraging people today to, to just take this message of Luke's forward as we leave church and just think about it in, in how that can be expressed in your own life. Um, you might find opportunities that really resonate with you today that you think, I want to be a part of this as well. But it's really just also a celebration of, of what is happening and I just, you know, often we speak in this church about well, what you can do under the shade of your own tree. And as we've been involved in this, and as I've been sort of journeying a little bit with the social justice team, it's, I've thought so much about this vision of each one of us with, our, with the shade of our tree, our umbrella, looking out and ministering into the lives of people. Sometimes I think we get completely overwhelmed by the need we live in a community, in a country, in a world that is so broken, and there is so much need, so, so close to us in this valley. And we can get overwhelmed, and we can start to withdraw, and we can start to live those insular lives because it's easier. But, and what we think, you know, I can't change all of that. I, I can't give my life to a full-time ministry or a full-time service. But it's just in the way we deal with the people we do employ in our homes, in our, in our, the people we come across, the people under the shade of our tree. And I just always get this vision of if everybody's umbrella was open to the fullest that it could be, all of those umbrellas would slowly interconnect. And this whole valley just could be covered under this huge umbrella of God's love for this community. So I really just pray that that can be in our hearts as we just say, say what can I do under the shade of my umbrella? And so before we end and go out and I hand back over to Peter, can we just pray for what is being done and what can be done in this valley? Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you that we are part of a church that has a heart for, for justice in our community. Lord, we just thank you that you have inspired and, and worked through so many individual people in our community who are giving up sacrificially of their time, of their resources, to minister into the lives of people around them. Lord, we know we live in a broken community. Lord, we see suffering on every corner of our streets. Father, we just want to pray today for the people who are broken. Lord, we think of children who live in violent communities and violent homes, whose lives are being shaped by the adults around them whose lives are being broken. Lord, we think of families who are broken. Lord, we think of people who are struggling to put a meal on their tables every day, to feed their families, to find dignity in work. 
Lord, we think of people who are really just struggling personally, grappling with depression and other, other issues, addictions. Father, there's so many ways that this community is suffering and crying out to you. And Lord, as Luke preached, where our treasure is, there our hearts lie also. Let our treasure be in you. Let us look to Jesus. Let us, let us just look to his example of how he had such compassion for everyone around him. Let our hearts melt with compassion. Father, we just pray that you will touch each one of our hearts, that we will be able to see that you'll open our hearts and our eyes to the opportunities around us to serve our community, Lord, to direct people to you, to just live out an expression of a life that is beyond us, bigger than us, about more than us. Father, we just want to thank you for those people who are doing so much. We thank you for people who are doing little things in their own lives that make a difference. And we just pray, Lord, for your umbrella of love to cover this whole valley. And we thank you for the part that you will have us play in it. For all of these things, Lord, we praise you and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, Robin, and thank you, Luke, for challenging us. Uh, last week, we had a prayer line for healing, and it went on and on and on, and it was so amazing. Today, I think the place of prayer is probably going to be at home when we examine our hearts, at work, when we think about the people we work with. And right now, as we have opportunity to look at those individuals and organizations that are kind of somehow related to us and are doing stuff out there, and maybe God is prompting us to get behind them. So there are various levels. What must I do personally, or how can I help others who are doing something? Okay? It's always hardest to do personally. Sometimes it's easier just to give elsewhere, but God is challenging us to do both. So, um, yeah, if you need prayer for other things, <laughs> there'll be a team here afterwards. We had a wonderful time praying for, for healing, particularly of backs and legs uh, last week, and God did some amazing things. There were some wonderful testimonies. But if you need prayer for anything specific, there'll be a team here after, after the service who would love to pray for, uh, with and for you. Uh, tea and coffee are being served out there in the garden. Please get your children first if you have children um, uh, so that our workers out there can be relieved and have a break. Uh, our Ignite book. Yes, we have one here. If you are visiting for the first time or if you've never got one of these and you've been coming for a little while, we have this devotional, which is for a full month, of just scriptures to help us to get to know more about Jesus and what he's done for us. So if you're searching for answers, please grab one of these at the front or out there uh, on the near the coffee table. Uh, you're welcome to grab one of those. And finally, uh, you can keep in touch with us through uh, our WhatsApp broadcast and our Facebook page. So uh, you can find the sermon. Maybe you need to listen to it again. <laughs> and all that's going on in our church. So go and grab a cup of coffee, enjoy some fellowship with one another, and Father, I just pray now your blessing on this congregation. I thank you so much for them, for the joy that we experienced in just being together, and now for the challenge we've experienced of what are we doing with the things that you've blessed us with. Help us, Father, to consider seriously these matters and to find your heart on each of these things personally. This is a a personal thing we need to sort out, not a church thing. So, Father, I pray, Lord, you'll bless us as we go and guide our footsteps as we consider the message of today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.